Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are discussing a paper that is titled, Does Science Hold the Key to Equine Nutrition? And this is by Bryony Mitchell, and it was published in May 2018. And the premise of this paper is to look into two different areas where nutrition essentially um, has an effect on genetics and how this could maybe be used to our advantage to improve equine welfare. So the two kind of keywords, we've got nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics. And our nutrigenetics are described as how an individual's genetic makeup influences their response to dietary nutrients, whereas nutrigenomics can be described as the study of the influence of foods and their constituents on gene expression and stability. And this might all just seem like a whole lot of scientific words and seem very advanced, but basically an example of how this works in humans is where people have celiac disease. So those that are affected by the intake of gluten, ultimately this initiates an inflammatory response within their gut by influencing the gene expression. So the gluten has an influence on the gene expression and this causes an inflammatory response. And we see this in other diseases that affect horses particularly. So in our equine metabolic syndrome and in our, what's the other one, our PPID in horses and um, our polysaccharide storage myopathy, which is tying up, or some people call that azoteria as well. So that's where we're getting a reaction to the soluble carbohydrates. The horse is storing too much glycogen in the muscle and is starting to get those muscle cramps. So this is really a fascinating area of dietetics and where we can move within the horse in the equine industry to try and improve the diets that we're giving to horses, but specifically to realize how much of an individual each horse is and how that can be affected. Yeah, the the initial gene sequencing that was completed on the horse was completed in 2007 and they came up, they used a thoroughbred named Twilight and they sequenced her genes because she was a good reference genome because of all the inbreeding that is involved in thoroughbreds. So there's not a lot of variability within that. So they were able to sequence those genes so much easier. And so I thought to myself, how cool it will be 
in the future when we do precision veterinary medicine and you're able to take a genome from an individual horse, which is all the genetic makeup, the traits and the genes together, and you can tell from that what foodstuffs would benefit that horse at, at that particular point in time. And now what we do is we kind of look at the horse's history, the clinical information and the overall general look of the horse. And then we look at maybe what it previously ate and what it's currently eating. And you kind of make adjustments with that. So you look at the horse that's in front of you and you consider the age, the body condition, the weight, the temperament, and the general well-being. And we kind of guess what would be the best food for it. And there's a lot of marketing and pressure from companies that go into that. And so it's basically trial and error how much better it'll be when we're able to really know what that individual horse would react to or would metabolize the best. And also actually identify potential diseases that we could say without a doubt this horse would get. You know, we could be able to look at those genomes and say, well, this horse is has all the markers for equine metabolic syndrome we need to change the diet in this way to avoid that from happening. Like it's in the sense of like longevity and performance and welfare, it's going to make such a substantial help towards increasing equine health as well. Yeah. I went to the equine Cushing's and insulin resistance um, conference and there was a geneticist there. Her name is Dr. Elaine Norton from the University of Arizona, and she gave a wonderful presentation on mapping a genome. And those Welsh ponies have like 266 alleles or traits that lead to equine metabolic syndrome. So one of those traits might be insulin, another one might be glucose. And you know, so when we're saying on the podcast, exercise helps alleviate uh, equine metabolic syndrome, it's because the muscles can take up the excess glucose without using insulin. So that insulin resistance, you know, doesn't become a factor. And so it's the high glucose that's always there and the high insulin that can lead to laminitis and and other risk um, illnesses that go along with EMS. So she gave such a good overview and it's the Morgans, the Arabians and the ponies and the Tennessee walkers that tend to have a genetic propensity for EMS, but the fact that they have the sequencing all figured out, it's, it's just amazing. And while exercise is so important for, you know, our longevity, our heart function, our muscles, and even just how we support our backs and same for our, our horses. My friend always says to me, you can't out train a bad diet. Yeah. Although we try. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that is the missing key and i mean this would be so useful in performance sources like you can only imagine how this is going to take flight in that aspect of the industry but at the moment the research into nutrients and their interaction with equine genomes is very much in the early stages so it hasn't really taken off as such well as of when this paper was published in 2018 so in smaller animals it seems to be progressing more rapidly which tends to be the case i think with our companion animals we are a little bit quicker to try and improve what we can do and you see that you know with different super vet shows and things like that the lengths will now go to for our companion animals but there was one study that looked at small animals and dietary intake and genetics and they wanted to help understand pet obesity and the research suggests that diets that include prebiotics green tea extract or increased concentrations of protein resulted in a modified gene expression in relation to glucose and lipid metabolism, basically in the fat tissues and skeletal muscle. So what does that mean? That means diets that have green tea extract, increased concentrations of protein and prebiotics can help with obesity in pets by actually affecting the gene. And this is something that we hear a lot of in human um dietary requirements that protein is so key you know you need to increase your protein intake because that increases satiety so you've got that satisfied more full feeling and that helps with weight loss that's what we've always been told but what if the research is now showing that not only does protein create a satiety but it also actually affects the gene and that's how it makes the effect on us becoming essentially leaner. Yeah, it's amazing. And Kate, you know how I'm such a numbers person. And that, you know, I do ration calculations on each horse. And while that's good, it's still the ration calculations just, you know, you want all the boxes clicked that, yeah, they're getting enough of all the vitamins and minerals and nutrients, but it doesn't account for what that individual is actually able to metabolize and take in. So while I'm such a math guru on doing those, I would still love to be able to figure out what makes each horse tick at their optimum level per for performance or for longevity too. Definitely. And it is important to note, and we do have an entire episode dedicated to supplements with Brittany, which is brilliant if you haven't heard of it or listened to it yet. But there are nutrigenomic supplements on the market as well. But the research for this is very much in its infancy. So with supplements, really take care with what you're choosing to spend your money on is probably how I'll word it best um, because diet is key. We need to get the diet right. And that's what this follows up with. So we know that we can obviously use science to improve things, but if we can use science to determine a correct and adequate diet, there's no need for supplements, you know, unless there's something seriously lacking in your area or in your grass or in your hay, 
then you need to um, get a professional's advice and talk to someone like Brittany. But just to note that these, again, are another supplement that are on the market. Yeah, and I thought also this paper explains so well why, you know, you can, like I have five horses here on the farm, and I try to feed the same feed company mix to each horse because you don't want to have five different rations out there. Now, um, there are some horses that thrive on it, some that don't, and then I end up adjusting it according to that particular horse. But this article explains why just feeding a shed row of horses the same type of feedstuffs may not work. And so you do have to still at this point in time, look at each horse and try to make your adjustments. And that's that trial and error, um, you know, guesswork that I was talking about earlier. But um, that explains why, you know, that happens. You just have to account for the individual horse and what their makeup may be. And I know that there's people that probably, you know, work on yards that might have 20 or 30 horses or even more or even just have a couple horses. And this feels like a lot of effort, like working out rations specifically. You know, I've I've been to yards where the people basically just know in their head roughly how much work each horse is doing. And they're brilliant at just dishing out and you call out the name of the horse they they pull the feed together and they're like next you call out the next name they know in their head what each horse's workload is and what their condition is but it is something that as easy as that becomes second nature once you've worked out the ration and you've drawn it up a couple of times you know you've leveled the scoop you've gotten this much of each you've put your balancer whatever you need to add in that becomes second nature so you do just have to kind of sit down work out the rations properly write them up on the whiteboard somewhere that's really obvious and then go from there. And people love doing handfuls of things. I've noticed when it comes to working out food, same for dogs. It's like they get a handful of this. And I'm like, why are we measuring in handfuls? Everyone's hands is a different size. So just weigh a cup or a scoop, like weigh what a level one is. And then, you know, and it's better to give roughly half a level scoop if that's what they're meant to get you might be off by so many grams but you're going to be closer than if you're scooping pony nuts with your hands yeah and if you have a obese horse or pony when you calculate their ration you need to use the ideal weight that you're aiming for because you can't use the current weight that calculation will be way too high or in your digestible energy is going to be way too high so that's where a lot of people they say their ponies can't lose weight well they need exercise but also the calculation should be the ideal weight for that pony we get this all the time in cats in yeah. veterinary. <laughs> I will say cats are much harder to get to lose weight because they will wake you repeatedly through the night. At least the pony is out in the paddock or it's in the stall. I know. That, that, but it's with, like... with working out that weight as well, like, so if the pony or the horse isn't far off, like obviously is overweight, 
it's fine to go for the ideal weight, but sometimes, and particularly in horses where we see like more extreme levels of obesity, unfortunately, and um, sometimes you have to pick a smaller goal weight because it can be too much to drop them to what they ideally should be. So it's a much longer process, but you might just start by being like, okay, they need to lose. 50 pounds to start 100 pounds to start and just do a slow and steady to get that weight down hey everyone we want to take a brief moment to tell you about a feed xl discount now available on our show page each week we'll have a link under our reference notes that will give our listeners a 10 percent discount on any Feed XL membership level. Let go of the stress and guesswork involved in determining what to feed your horse. Using Feed XL program, you can enter in details about your horse and Feed XL will actually generate a ration calculation to show you what nutrients are above or below the recommended levels for good equine health. I've been a member for three years and highly recommend it. Thanks so much. Everybody's pointing to this precision medicine, and it's uh, you see it with the um, continuous glucose monitors people are wearing to see how their response to carbohydrates influences their glucose levels. And it's even non-diabetics using those. Mm -hmm. And it, I seem like that precision veterinary medicine is just around the corner for all of our horses and dogs and cats. Definitely. And I think those glucose monitors, I mean, they've absolutely changed the game for a lot of people that suffer with diabetes. And it's something that I'm sure we're going to see for general health and fitness, the ability to put one of these monitors on and potentially track other information. It would be awesome because then you have the choice. Do you want to eat that potato chip or not? You know, and when, <laughs> when you, when you watch in real time what it does yeah. to your blood sugar. I think if we see that, it makes such an effect on you to see that number that I think it would affect the way I feed my horses too. Because a lot of times we don't take care of ourselves as well as we take care of our horses. And so think what we could do with that information um, with the genes of a horse. And we're just talking about overall genetic sequencing for Welsh ponies and then thoroughbreds because each breed has their own genome, it appears. There are big differences between the breeds. So think if you just take the generic genome for a certain breed and kind of remember that for your own horse, I think you think twice about feeding those sugar retreats and that type of um, feedstuffs to say like a Welsh pony that you know mm -hmm. gets high glucose, high insulin, very easy. Definitely. And our ponies in general, like that was another episode that we did. Can you remember what it was called, Nancy? It was based on that webinar. Oh, it was absolutely mind blowing about them grazing and their hay intake. Yeah, that was Ruth Morgan's at the um, Royal Dick Vet School 
that was her um, webinar. And she talked about, you know, Shetland ponies grazing on stubble. And, you know, they survive because that's how they're built. That's what they're meant to do. And here we're throwing, you know, gobs of rich hay to our horses. And, you know, it, it was a good webinar. It, it really put it in perspective how that thrifty gene is just a whole different ball game. And even like just how cunning ponies are, like you can <laughs> keep them in a stable for most of the day to try and control their hay intake or try and control their intake of grass. So you're giving them a balanced ration or, you know, their hay is controlled. And you might decide that every day you let them out in the paddock for two hours. Well, in those two hours, they will eat the equivalent that they would have eaten in the six or eight hours. Yeah. Like they make up for lost time like it's no one's business. And we do need at this point in time, we can take the breed and that effect into account when we do feed. So that's a good thing. It's come a long way since they did the human genome. And I think that was done in like the early 2000s, wasn't it, Kate? Like 2003. And that was when they took one human cell and the DNA from one human cell was like six feet long. So that's when they started to see the implications of the genetics and the phenotypical influences of, um, you know, the environment, the management, what we eat, how much movement we get, how that influences our genetic expression. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's an area I think that's only going to grow in the next couple of years. Have you ever done Ancestry, Kate? Um, I haven't done the one where you submit your own DNA, but I have like I've done projects where I've tracked my ancestry. I I did my ancestry and mine was a little bit different from my older sister. And then my younger sister and I were more similar. So it's just amazing how the environment, the activity level and your stress level even makes a difference in what genes are expressed. With ancestry, siblings can be so different and yet still have the same parents. And that is that phenotypical input. And your horses are the same way. Like you could clone secretariat but because he's not in the same management conditions and certain things can't be replicated within the management system, um, you'll never have the same horse. So Isn't that's it just nature versus nurture. Yeah, it's old. Yeah. So I always like to point that out that, you know, if you have a genetic test and you're worried about something expressing or whatever, just remember there's phenotypical influences as well. And a, a lot of that, um, you know, negates in some of the genes being expressed. So anyway, that's all I had for this. This is just fascinating, whether it's for humans, dogs, or horses. You know, I think cats have like a hundred uh, breeds don't you think <laughs> yeah Barn I, I couldn't even begin like we just the majority are just domestic short hair yeah in, I other, could, in other words who knows they've I, got short I, hair 
I should not say that because there are some purebred cats, but barn cats are normally a hundred, you know, maybe 57 breeds, let's say. So but you know what? The more diversity, the better. And it's the same <laughs> with our dogs. Like we we've, we've overbred them and it's a controversial topic because a lot of people, you know, absolutely love their pure breeds. And I understand, I mean, the dog's personality and their capability for love is what stands out no matter what the breed. But we've definitely done many breeds that just, just an injustice by overbreeding them. So and probably so a barn cat any day. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Russell is a great one. They like <laughs> even if you call them a purebred, they are hardy little dogs and there's probably something else in there down the line. <laughs> okay well this was a good one i hope everyone finds it interesting uh, look up the human genome project and then look up twilight the the horse genome project from 2007 and it'll explain these genes and the mapping and the influences um, a little bit better than maybe what we covered Brilliant. And then the last thing Nancy and I have is a little announcement about something that's coming up in October, if you wanted to fill them in, Nancy. Sure. Um, the International Society of Equitation Science is having a conference. It's their 2021 virtual conference, October 20th and 21st. Um, they announced yesterday that it's free um, for any horse enthusiasts, you want to sign up and be able to come and listen to the presentations. Kate and I are presenters there. So look for our presentation. Um, it's a virtual conference, of course. So um, there'll be lots of speakers, lots of information and uh, lots of welfare issues and all that so um go to their website and get signed up and uh normally they just have it open for members but this year they decided to make it globally accessible for everyone and i cannot promote free education enough so it's <laughs> open it's free to everyone and even if you only pick up one thing that helps you or your horse it would be worth attending yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And you guys will also have a survey out there um, that we'll be putting out um, that you can take. So if you come to the conference or not, still look for the listener survey because that will continue on the research we're doing on this podcast. And that'll be launched in the next couple of weeks, all going well. So we will keep you updated on our episodes and on social media. Okay, well, thanks, Kate, for joining in. Thanks, Nancy. Talk to you next week. All right, bye-bye. Take care.